Today's scripture comes from Acts chapter 2, verses 42 to 47. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers. And awe came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together and had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and just distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who are being saved. This is the word of God. This is it, part 10. 10 of our series. This is the last sermon of this, in this particular series uh, on evangelism. So for those of you who haven't been with us, this uh, series, Sharing Bread from Heaven, is about what it means to share the gospel with uh, our friends who don't know Jesus. And, um, and in order to close this message, I thought the, I'd like to talk about his community today. Um, what, what evangelism does, in these last couple messages, I especially want to just talk about the blessings that we receive. And, you know, uh, is our hope that that when we do this, that evangelism and sharing good news about Jesus isn't just something that you're going to do in this 10-week series, but this will be, you know, you will pick up some of these habits, and this will be something that you want to do throughout the course of your whole life, and that we as a community do. And in order to close this message, I want to just, what does it do to a community if, if they're an evangelizing community? Now, if you, if you get into this passage, this Acts chapter 2, usually people, when they look at this, it's, it's, a, it's an incredible picture of communal life. I mean, I mean I don't, it's not so much that I have to explicate. I mean, it's a, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. That is, that's the gospel. That's what they, they devoted themselves to the gospel. And now the gospel sheds light on all of the scriptures. And what Jesus, uh, and now that Jesus come and his, through his death and resurrection, what is that going to do to us? I mean, that's what they're devoting themselves to. And then there were many signs and wonders. God was doing miracles in the midst of them. And then people also started to just practice this kind of radical generosity. Um, you, you know, we, we long for this, this uh, in, in our own day. I mean, um, I don't know if you pay attention to these kinds of things, but as we're, if, you, if you regularly, if you ask people in our society, especially even those who are not Christians, what is it that they long for? And more and more, the buzzword today is they long for this community. They long for this deeper, authentic community. And then you read this passage. I mean, people, I don't even know if people believe that this kind of thing is, is possible. I mean, we, we're, we're so, like, set into our own life. Like, this is my house. It's my food, my car, my money. It's my place. And that's yours over there. The idea that people would even literally begin to sell their possessions, and then they would begin to radically give into the midst of their, their church community, and then they would eat together, and then they would give their... Uh, they would give radically. I mean, in the next couple chapters, people would give radically to the poor in their community. So it wasn't just like, we're going to just sell our money, and the money's going to just go to the church, and it's going to just go for church things. The church, it's a vision of deep and profound communal life. And, they would, and it says that they ate their bread with this gladness, so there was this, this gratitude. And people, and this is a portion of the, of the scripture that's particularly relevant to today's message, as it says, and the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. Now, um, 
this, this question of community, um, this is a really famous passage, and Christians have, have looked at this passage and studied this passage. You know, it just you come, keep coming back to it. And for those of you who, who may not know, I mean, just, just a little background of the setting. This is Jesus has been crucified. He's, he's, been, he's risen. He's resurrected. He teaches his disciples how to understand all the scriptures in light of him. And then he ascends to heaven. And then he promises them of the Holy Spirit. So the Holy Spirit has now come down upon them like, as, as, as like tongues of fire. And then they're, they're transformed by the power of the Spirit. And they go out and begin to proclaim the gospel. And Peter has given this sermon. So this is all these, these are events that happened right before this, this portion. Peter gives a sermon. And 3,000 people get saved after the sermon. I mean, I mean it's, it's this astounding thing. And it's in this middle of this time, so the church hasn't really broken forth yet. This is the very first church and what it looked like. And 3,000 people get saved, and try to just keep this in mind, like nobody believes in Jesus, okay? I mean, or very few people believe in Jesus. Only just smatterings of people believe in Jesus that maybe he's done miracles for. And most of these people who are Jews, they just see Jesus as this controversial figure. And if you think that he's the Messiah or he's the son of God or he is God, they look at you as like, they, you're a very controversial person. And they look at you as some kind of weird kind of cult <laughs> or a sect that is like corrupting real and proper Judaism. And now, in the midst of this, 3,000 people get, st um, stunningly, they get saved. And this is what the church looks like. This is their communal life. And many Christians throughout the ages have looked at this passage, and then they study it, and then there's, a, there's this kind of division. Over the years, um, people read this passage, and some people think, well, you know, there's miracles that happen, and there's these incredible things that happen, but that doesn't happen really anymore, right? I mean, David did incredible things, Moses did incredible, and of course, Jesus did amazing things, and even Peter and these guys, and of course, those kind of miraculous things happen, and so you can have an amazing kind of church like this back then, but, you know, today we just have just church. <laughs> so some people think this is something that just happened in history, but not today. That's one kind of like hermeneutic, or like hermeneutic it just means like an approach or a certain schema of interpretation. Some people have that kind of like interpretive approach. Well, let me tell you something. I'm not one of them. I think that's wrong. <laughs> there are a whole other set of people, when they read this, they said, this, this is what church, is it possible that church could be like this? That we can have a, a kind of community, and this isn't even just a church thing. Human beings could live with this deep sense of unity, radical generosity, and great joy eating with each other. And it's so compelling that people want to figure out what is going on with these strange people. And they come into the midst. They want to eat with us. They want to, they want to hang out with us. And then they find out about this person, Jesus. And day by day, people are getting saved. Now, I think this passage is in the Bible, not just as a point of history, but it's a kind of promise. That if we would live the God, I mean, it's, it's not like, you know, do A, you get B. It's not like that kind of promise. It's a faith kind of promise. And it doesn't mean that it's like, it's like you know, it's like a, con uh, a conveyor line, do this and then you get this. It's not quite like that. But what does it look like when you have radical, profound, deep, Holy Spirit-filled community 
And one of the most important, most of the people when they read this passage, they see it as an example of a fellowship. And I did this too. A few years ago, I, I did a series on deep fellowship um, as we were you know, launching into small groups. And I preached primarily out of this text. But it's this last portion. You can't have deep community. You can't have this deep fellowship unless there's evangelism. Do you notice here? It says here that every day people were being added to their numbers. People were getting saved every day. The Lord is adding to the numbers. That means it isn't just that there's great love and, and humility and unity and radical generosity toward each other, which is we call that fellowship. But the humility and radical generosity is going out to the people outside of the church as well. And when we do that, we call that mercy and evangelism. That's what we call it. Now, what I want to talk about today is, are you the kind of person like me? Okay, I'm like this. When I see a passage like this, you know, every week, you know, a lot of you, you, you come here most weeks. Some of you come here every other week. Some of you come here once a month. Some of you come here every week. You're very, very faithful, okay? And you're a Christian. You believe, I, I believe in this Jesus stuff. And, and um, I go to church, but can do you have this longing that church could be more, <laughs> that our communal life could be more than just, just church. You know, that, that the religion stuff, the stuff that I like to call churchianity as opposed to Christianity, based upon just church life as opposed to Christ and the life he gives us. Do you believe that that can happen? Do you long for that? And I do. I long for this all the time. And when I read a passage, I just told you, I don't believe this is just history. I believe th that can happen again. And by the way, some of you are going, well, Pastor Sung, that's just your interpretation. That's just, you just have this doctrine, and apparently your doctrine has this interpretation, and maybe it's wrong. I, I don't think I'm wrong. <laughs> you know why? Because I know of churches like this now. <laughs> I'm not talking, I know there are churches like this that happen all throughout church history, because I, I don't just study the Bible, I study church history, and I study other churches and how they grow as churches, because we always should have the humility to learn from others. Um, I, I told a story about a, a church that's in San Diego. It's called the Rock Church. And it's not like a perfect church, but they have some of these kind of elements. And at the Rock Church, do you know, I hear this, that people get saved at that church every single Sunday, every Sunday. <laughs> I, I, I dream of being in a church where somebody gets saved every Sunday. I mean, like, there's so many baptisms to do. I'm busy listening to testimonies and doing baptisms because people are constantly going out and doing radical generosity. And at that church, the Rock Church, they do radical generosity. They give of their talents, their money, and into the city, and people come to church and they go, and they come to church and they get, and they get saved. So, um, and then what happens is this joy starts to break out in the community. You long for something like that to happen as opposed to like, I have all the things I have to do. I make money and then I got the, the football games I want to watch and the movies I'm interested in and, and, the, and the dramas I'm interested in. And, and then, oh, oh yeah, there's a little bit of that, that, that thing called church I got to do on Sunday too, right? You long for something more? I want to close out this message by saying, I think that there's what blessings there are if we will be an evangelizing people, if we will share this most important heavenly bread. And th those are the three points of my message today, the three blessings. I think three like blessings of the community that can form this kind of Acts chapter 2 kind of community. 
And here they are, part one. The first blessing is humility and deep generosity. Humility, not just as an individual. It's hard to be a person. It's hard enough as just as an individual to be a generous person or to constantly not go to our pride and to judge other people and to think that I'm special, but you know, I'm better than them. But, but even better to have a, a humble and generous community and a culture that's constantly helping us when we fall off the, off, off the rails and we become stingy and self, selfish-oriented. Instead, you know, again, a community that always brings us back toward humility and generosity. That's number one. Number two, um, faith begets faith. In other words, if people, if we will, ev- I know this sounds kind of silly, if we will evangelize, you know what evangelism does? It drives more evangelism. That's what it does. Salvations, people getting saved in the midst of us, it drives more people getting saved in the midst of us. That's number two. Faith begets faith. And number three, we all long for this, this thing called glory. There's a joy-making glory that apart, see, all of these elements, this radical generosity, this joy, this deep love, where they, people get together, they break bread, they eat this bread together. And by the way, they're, not, they're obviously not just eating bread. I mean, we're going to eat bread today. But it's not just physical bread that they're eating. They're eating a much more, it's that, that bread is almost symbolic that they're eating, that they're eating and, and bringing together. But what we really are hungry for is a bread that I think is, is a joy-filled glory. And that's the third blessing, a joy-making glory. So let's get into this, part one. Um, humility and, and generosity. You, you know, um, we live in a society where everybody, we, we believe in not just individualism, but I, do you know that compared to just about every other society in the world, that they don't just look at us as individualists, that they would see us as radical individualists. <laughs> and that's one of the reasons why our society so deeply hungers for community. I mean, don't you hunger for a community? <laughs> A lot of you who live in Silicon Valley, you work many, many hours, and then after your hours are done, you go home really tired, and then you still have to go find time to go to the supermarket, and you have kids, you got to feed your kids, and then you have maybe just a little bit of time to just, you know, to watch a sitcom or, or like half of a movie on Netflix, and then you conk out exhausted, and then you do it all over again, and then you wish you could just get a little bit closer to one or two friends, and then you, we sit here and we're... And this is our life. It's radically, it's not just individualistic, it's radically individualistic. And you know what radical individualism means? In a, in a, in a certain way, and I don't, I don't want to get too mean about this, or too, it's, it's really selfishness. Because <laughs> individualism means everything is about me, and it's not about the community. <laughs> and if you want real joy in life, we need community. And in fact, we want to share something wonderful in community. And that means we need to contribute into the community. We must be humble toward other people. And we must say, I'm part of something bigger than me. Like, I'm, I'm, I'm less, but my joy comes from being something that's part of bigger. That's the part of the humility. And we must be generous, and we must contribute into the community, into the lives of other people. And then if you are... You know that if we're, if, you know that all, almost every, all of us in America, especially in, in like intense cities like this, do you know that we just go, we're individualists, but that's just another way of saying we're really sick, really deficient human beings. <laughs> that's really just, a, if you can't co- contribute into your community, you're just such a selfish person, no wonder like you can't be a full human being if you're not contributing to the community. Generosity is not just 
It's not like an extra credit thing in, in being a human being. It's like it's actually really at the center of deep human community. And if you don't have generosity and you're, you're pouring yourself into this, we're just going to be deep, broken, and unhappy people. I mean, even in something simple like, um, you know, we have, uh, like, like take something like you, if you're a part of, of, of a community and you're for a particular sports team, if you're for, for, have, you, have you noticed on Niners Day games, all these people come out and they're all wearing red. <laughs> you're, you're supposed to wear the right shirt. You're supposed to wear the right gear, and you put a little paint on your face. And when your team scores a touchdown, you know what you're supposed to do? You're supposed to yell. This is your contribution. You have to spend money to get the ticket. You have to expend your, spend your time and generosity. That's because your eyeballs on the TV help your team. You know that? Your eyeballs on the team help your team. And then when you yell, woo, you know, everybody gets really happy, and you get this joy-filled community, but then it just dies away. But that's, and that's, that's football. That's not even anything really especially very important. It does give us a lot of joy, but that's football. And, but the more and more that it, life is just about us, we begin to become very like, self-focused and self-preoccupied. And then what that does is it makes us angry toward the other people who are like, the wrong skin color, and then they cut you off in the middle of, uh, of your day to work because they're, in, in, they're encroaching upon your time and your space. And so then our, our sense of, like, it's us. And, you know, church, so much of church, it gets, it's, it's even worse than this. This is how we even do church. And one of the reasons why we're such radical individualists is everything in our society, we believe that we get to choose it. We're consumers of everything. We get to be capitalistic consumers of everything. So I'm going to choose, and then I'm going to form the life. And then we do this with church, too. And we even have names for this. Church shopping, all the different denominations. It's, it's a kind of market segmentation. You know that? And then when we go to church, we go to church, and, and then we're thinking about everything about the way we normally think. What am I going to get out of it? And then when we go to church, we want to talk to the people that we like. And then we don't want those kind of people sitting next to me at church. Or, and then it's got to be the things that I like at church. And then inside churches, people fight about music, or they fight about worship times, and they fight about clothes. I mean, it's crazy, the stuff that happens. And, and instead, we, don't, we lack this humility toward each other. And this patience to, that other people have something to offer that I need. And then we go into church. And then people go into church. And then we believe that we have the right doctrine. We have the right path to salvation. And the people outside the church, they don't. And, they, and some of their lifestyles and some of the things they, that they believe and practice are sin. And they don't want to hear it. But then, but then when we see them practicing it and then they're trying to spread that around, we feel threatened by this. And so then... The church becomes this place where we are going to do our religion in here. And then people outside the church are thinking, you, it's just all about you guys. It's just about you. Your religion is just about you. And that's why we hate you. And, you know, as long as if church is, is like that, it's consumeristic and it's about the me, not a more glorious thing, that, then of course they're going to hate us. And honestly, they should. They should. They, they, we deserve it. But actually, it isn't just, you can't just come into the church and just think, what am I going to get out of it? I'm going to contribute to that. And then the fellowship will be about me and my friends at church. But actually, if church, the community, does, will not have 
humility toward the people outside and generosity toward the people on the outside. In order for us, you know, we've been going through this 10 weeks, and you guys know this, that if you want to, it's not easy today, especially, especially in, a, in a city like us, it's not easy to tell people, even just tell people, I'm a Christian, they're going to think, well, then are you a bigot? <laughs> oh, you must be one of those religious haters, right? And that's, that's in your own company. That's like at work, right? But um, that if we really want to even begin to share the gospel with people, it's going to require... We even have to just change. We need to become more humble toward them and to listen to them and to be kinder toward them. We have to be generous. Like we're, we're asking you to put on this event, right? And we, we want to have this event next month that we're having. This, it's a seekers. It's kind of a simple little dinner, this meal. And, and we want to invite them to come and be comfortable with no strings attached, no judgment. They can just listen and hear a little something about what makes Jesus unique and offer them a meal. And so that means we're asking you to be generous. We're asking you to be generous with your money and then contribute some into this, into this meal and then ask your friends. And so just by doing this, just by doing evangelism, it, 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 like I said, it's always the, the gravity of our life is always toward me and pride and selfishness. <laughs> but just by, if we would be a community that would be committed to sharing the gospel outside to people who don't know Jesus. Regularly, we'll, it'll, it'll, it'll move us to practicing humility, generosity, because that's, that's what it's needed. And it will start getting out, us out of the, the, the prison of me. That's the first blessing. Let me go to the second one. Faith begets faith. Um, I have, I, I, I've studied kind of what makes church helpful or like what makes what will help a church to grow and not just in terms of like numbers or something like this but really grow in faith and in love and in joy and um, one of the things that a lot of people don't know about the church I mean and this is going to sound really silly um, you know if you want more people to get saved then we need somebody to get saved <laughs> and that sounds really stupid but it's, it's just, it seems like a really kind of basic thing that most churches seem to overlook. And here, here's what I mean by this. When people think that we want to get more people to get saved, the, the attitude is something like this. What we really need is a really, like, really compelling preacher. If he's a really good preacher, then that will, that will, fill, that will fill our seats. And then, or if we have a really, really good band, a first-rate band, that will fill our seats, and then some people will get saved. That's what people, people think, these kinds of things. Or if we just get bigger and bigger numbers and then we'll have better and better programs, then people will come to the church because they like the programs. And then someone will get saved and that's the way it works. But actually, that, that's not the way God does it at all. Um, there, there's, a, there's a strange thing that happens when people go to church. So first someone comes to church, they don't know Jesus, or maybe they used to go to church a little bit when they were a kid. And then, uh, you know, they, somewhere in high school or college, they stopped. And then... You know, all their life, most of their friends, their coworkers, they're, they're, they don't know Jesus. They're unbelievers. And so their life, they're, they're not believing in Jesus. They're not following Jesus. And their life is filled with non-Christians. But then something happens. Um, maybe they go, through like, uh, they go through a really bad portion of their life. Maybe somebody close to them dies. Or maybe they go through um, a period of depression. 
Or maybe they just have a grandmother who loves Jesus, and then they're visiting their grandmother at Christmas time, and their grandmother says, you know what you need? You need some God in your life. Why don't you go to church? And, you know, they're like, oh, church. I mean, like, I'm, I'm done with that. I, I, you know, like, that was irrelevant, those, all those, you know, aren't they kind of bigoted? But they're just like, you know what? I, I just need something, and maybe I, I need something. And they feel this. And maybe they have a, a friend like you. And so they'll check it out. And they come. And they're ready. And they hear the gospel. And for the first time, the scales fall off their eyes and they see that God is Jesus. <laughs> that person who is so gentle and will forgive them of their sins. And they, and they get saved. Right? They, they get born again right there. And they get, really, they get baptized. They, they join the church. They get really excited. And then they, you know, like they start putting away some of the things in their life that they're, they're kind of ashamed that, like, you know, I used to get drunk every weekend and every now and then sleep around with this person. And, and they start putting those things away and they don't really, and they start changing their habits and they want, new, they want the Christians, their brothers and sisters, to be in their life and to influence them. But over time, you know what that starts to do? So over the, at the beginning, they used to have all the, most of their social world were people that didn't know Jesus. And then they begin, and it's rightfully so, they begin to fill their social life with people who do know Jesus. And then this is, this is kind of, it's, it's almost like a gravity that happens in the church. We go to church, and then most of our, our, our social life and the, and the people that we know are people who know Jesus already. And then the church starts to become what we call this holy huddle. And then, and then we gradually, bit by bit, we don't practice evangelism because we just don't know that many people who believe in Jesus, and then we've already, and then the, and the ones that we do, we've already kind of like written them off as like, well, they wouldn't be interested in the gospel. That's what we think, right? But let me tell you, this thing that we call the holy huddle, it's a very unholy huddle. <laughs> it's a, that's, a, that's a very dysfunctional church. That, that, I would say that's not Christianity, that's Phariseeism. That's a church built on Phariseeism, and it's not going to ever produce this type of beautiful community. You can't have this kind of beautiful community. You won't have the humility. In fact, what we'll get is we'll get the usual entitlement because as we're consumers, we get mad. If you go to Safeway and, they don't, and there's too many people on the line, we get mad. <laughs> and so then we go to church and then you know, the music isn't quite right and you didn't like this and your brother kind of like, the, your, 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 the other member of the church said something which kind of offended you. You get angry because, well, we don't have enough humility and generosity and we're walking into church as consumers Unholy huddled, that's, well, that's Phariseeism. But actually, here's what happens. Somebody comes into church, and then they get saved. And then, you know, what they, they get so excited, you know what they do? They begin to do the things that I asked you to do. So, like, you get a new pair of pants. It's like the most, it's the most comfortable pair of pants, and it, you know, it, it hugs your rear end just right, and it makes your butt look really good. You know what you do? You're like, oh, you need, you need to get this pair of pants. And it's on sale. You find the sale. You give your coupon to your friend. And you go, get this pair of pants because it'll make your butt look just right. <laughs> and that's the good news that we share. Or you, you, the latest drama that you're watching, oh, you got to watch this drama. And then we, you evangelize the pants. <laughs> you evangelize the drama. And this is what we do. But you know what happens when someone first gets saved? You know, they... You ever been around like brand new Christians? They they have this deep, they have this first love. <laughs> and they're so like everything is about Jesus and they want to learn all the songs. I mean, they don't know any of the songs. <laughs> and they're so interested in the Bible. 
in a way that like you haven't been in years. And then you know what they do? Then they go tell about the pants to their friends, except it's not about the pants. They're talking about the best thing they ever, ever had, which is the bread of heaven, Jesus. And they go break that bread or try to break that bread with their friends. And then so this person comes into the church, gets saved. So God's plan isn't mega church, silver tongue preacher, great band. That's not his plan because most churches in the world, do you know that most churches in the world are small? Even in America, we, we think, like I actually looked up the numbers recently. You know, uh, do you know that the vast, like something like 80% of the churches in America are like 150 and less? <laughs> 80%. I mean, it's, it's a crazy high number that most of the people go to small churches. Something like only like 8% of people go to a mega church, and another like 15% go to a church that's medium sized, and medium sized means like 200 to 500. We're in the, like, if you count everybody in this church, we're in the medium sized range. We're bigger than something like the vast majority of churches in America, in America. And then if you go to other countries, other countries, in Saudi Arabia, you think they have churches? A, a, a hundred-member church is a megachurch <laughs> in certain countries. Um, I, have, I have my, uh, my Iranian church pastor friend down the street in Sunnyvale. They have 200 people at their church. He says, yeah, we're the Iranian megachurch. <laughs> That's what he says. We're one of the largest, we're the largest, we might be the largest Iranian church in the world. <laughs> and I said, really? <laughs> at 200? Because most churches are small, and how does God do it? He does it through you and through me. Through vulnerable, authentic humanity. Through genuine love. By sharing the best pair of pants you ever got, except we're not talking about pants, we're talking about heavenly bread. And then that one person you know, has that moment after their grandmother said, you should go to church, they come to church, and then they get saved in the church that is 100 people. And then you know what happens? Then they go out and tell their friends, and then the following week, two other people show up, and one person has like rings, you know, like rings on their nose and strange tattoos, and everybody's going, Isn't that, that's not a normal person at church, right? Except, guess what? They're supposed to be exactly a normal person at church. Because church isn't for the Christians or the clean people and those, oh, those, those dirty unbelievers out there. Actually, church is for sinners. It isn't that you and me. And then when the, the, the new baby Christian goes out and brings in some new, new unbelievers, and then one or two more of them get saved, people go, wow, that was exciting. And then we're reminded again, oh, you know what? Sharing the gospel is not just for them. They're thinking, oh, you know everything about Christianity because you've been a Christian for 10, 15 years. I know nothing, except we're sitting there looking at that going like, wow, you put me to shame. And what happens? Humility. Humility. And then the cycle starts happening all over again. We're reminded to move toward humility and generosity and begin to see that beautiful thing. And then the church, it starts becoming churchianity and fair, so-called unholy huddle. And it starts becoming the church, something more in a step toward Acts chapter 2. Let me close my message with this. Um, all of us, if you're like me, hope all of you, <laughs> you, you hunger for something incredible and glorious. I mean, that, that's why we go to the football games, right? I mean, I, you know, I bought a $30 Steph Curry shirt <laughs> two years ago. I, 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 who buys a $30 t-shirt, okay? <laughs> and, 
every Warriors game, well, almost every Warriors game, I pull that thing out, even if I've worn it a couple days and it kind of smells, okay? And I put the shirt on, and it's like, you know, my number 30 is on my thing. And, you know, because why we all want to see, like, we're just hoping that if we watch the game, our team will win, and Steph, or now, you know, now we have some other superstar, you know, Kevin Durant, we, now we have, like, four superstars on our team. It's crazy. And on any given day, one of those four guys might do something so amazing and compelling, it'll make us jump up and down. And you want to wear the shirt and then put, you know, put on some blue on your face or something. And you know what? That's just sports. I mean, last year, the Warriors lost, and all of us, you know what happened? Pride and anger. Oh, Steph, they're all a bunch of chokers. <laughs> We're all, we, all of this team that we loved, all of a sudden we started hating them because, you know, we don't want their, their loser chokingness to, like, rub off on us. <laughs> but the previous year, the glory of their great championship, we basked in that glory, and it made us joyful and happy and, and oddly generous. <laughs> we hug each other and high-five each other and, like, fear... You know, do you know that if you go to a sports bar in the middle of a Warriors game and you have your Warriors shirt on and then Steph, like, swishes it from 30 feet out, you will stand up and hug strangers in the bar. I mean, it, it, it happens. <laughs> Total strangers, like, you know, people of, like, different skin colors and different, you know, uh, socioeconomic backgrounds that you would never hang out with, all of a sudden you're hugging them <laughs> just because we share the same glory. And at the end of the day, that's what most of us are. We're, we're all hungry for glory. That's why we watch these sports. And, and we want a, a community that's so compelling. And some of you are like, what do you, what do you mean by glory, Pastor? I, okay, I'm going to define it. Glory is something so beautiful and something so great um, that it will compel you to be happy. <laughs> you can't help but be joyful. That's why the... The, this, today's title is The Joyful, Compelling Community. Um, let me close with this story. I, uh, one of my heroes is a guy named Jack Miller. He's a pastor. And I might, you may, some of you may remember, I've, I've sometimes uh, tell a story about Jack Miller. If you ever want to look up his book, don't, don't look up Jack. Look up John C. Miller. Okay, that's him. Okay, John C. Miller. And, um, you know, he passed away, you know, a number of years ago. And um, he's a legendary pastor in, like, the Presbyterian reform settings, right? You know, like, if you guys don't know what Presbyterian reform is, well, you're in that kind of a church, okay? Because that's the kind of preacher I have, okay? And, um, and uh, he, for many years, he was a professor at Westminster Seminary. He taught practical theology. He taught other people how to be pastors. And he also pastored a church. And he pastored this Presbyterian church, and it's a very kind of buttoned-up, traditional, everybody's, like, got their moral, you know, like, stuff together, at least they act like it, <laughs> on the outside. And um, he, he would mightily try to lead the church, preach the gospel, so that they would obey God, and there would be joy, and, and people get saved, and they wouldn't do it. <laughs> and people would just do churchianity, and nobody would be, nobody was getting saved, and nobody's changing, and nobody's lives are being transformed, and he got upset, and he got burnt out, and he quit. He quit, he quit, he quit his uh, pastor position, right? And he was thinking about even quitting the, the professor position. 
Because like, maybe I don't know what I'm doing. Who am I to be teaching pastors? I don't know how to do it. And he was burnt out. And he kind of went into like a hard place in, in his prayer life. And he didn't want to pray. And he didn't want to read the Bible. And he's kind of just, you know, just kind of like mailing it in. <laughs> in his day job in the seminary. But one thing he always had was he, he became a Christian as an adult. He didn't, he didn't get saved when he was a kid. He, he, knew, he still remembers, so he knows what it's like to you know, spend adult life and not know anything about God. And so every now and then he had this way of striking up conversations with people and just treating them like hurting. He just would see them as hurting people, hurting human beings. He knew they needed Jesus. And he would offer them kind conversation. And not every single time, but sometimes it would move around to God. And he would ask them gently what they believed about God. And then they would begin to, because he, they, he'd be humble and generous to them, they would begin to talk. And then some, some of them, so there's these stories of like how Jack would sometimes take the bus to the seminary. I mean, um, I don't know if you know this, but uh, Westminster Seminary out there in Greater Philadelphia is in a town called Glenside. And Glenside is a lower middle class community. It's a relatively poor community. And, and uh, Jack would sit at the bus stop because a lot of the people have to sit at the bus stop in the community. And he would just strike up a conversation with the person he's sitting next to on the bench. And that person would get interested in Jesus. I'm interested more about Jesus. And you know something about it because you are a pastor, right? And so Jack would invite that person over to his house for dinner. And so he and his wife, Rosemary, Rosemary Miller, and Jack, they would have this person over for dinner, and they would have a Bible study and help that person get to meet Jesus, and then that person would get saved. And then this person says, can I learn more about Jesus? Jack, would you like teach me more about Jesus? Remember, he's not like a, you know, a pastor now. He's just, just being a friend, a brother. And of course, he knows a lot about the Bible. And says, okay, let's have a Bible study. And goes, oh, well, you know what? I need to go tell some friends. So then this person just got saved from the, the, the bench at the front. And also just with their conversation, the bench at the bus stop brought two friends and then that went to the Bible study. And then a few weeks later, those two friends brought two friends. And so what started off as a conversation at a bus stop, you know, a certain number of weeks later was a Bible study of seven or eight people. And then those people were getting saved. And Jack would have to baptize them. <laughs> and then, then they would get that, 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 that joy, and then they would invite people to church who, you know, like the, this was happening in the late 70s, and the 70s were, I don't know if you, you realize, this, the 70s is already, post-Christianity is already happening in the 70s. In a town like Glenside, you have these people that, that used to go to some Methodist church or a Presbyterian church, but the local Presbyterian church and the Methodist church, they're not preaching biblical doctrine anymore. And there's a lot of people in town who are these disaffected Catholics. They used to maybe go to the Catholic church, but they're like, ah, whatever, I hate, the, I hate my priest now. And there's a lot of people in town like this. And they don't know the Bible because they haven't known the Bible. And they never met Jesus. Jesus is just this, this guy who's a good moral teacher and he's religion. And six people turned into 20 people. <laughs> and people were getting saved. And Jack he didn't even want to be a pastor anymore. He quit his pastoring position. <laughs> and he started to realize, oh my goodness, the Lord, just like in Acts chapter 2, the Lord is adding to our numbers those who are being saved. And the Lord is forming a church, even though I don't even want to do church anymore. 
And so he turned to his friend. His friend is um, church history professor Claire Davis. This is a story I heard from Claire Davis, because Claire Davis was my church history professor. And he was the first elder at New Life Presbyterian Church of Glenside. And this Bible study from his living room turned into New Life Presbyterian Church of Glenside. And New Life Church was an Acts 2 type church. And they'd have these periods when radically people would give of their generosity and they would gather together to grow in scripture and then they would gather together and come up with plans to like love their neighbors. <laughs> I mean, uh, and, um, and then people would come and regularly, just like in Acts chapter 2, people would be added to their numbers and they'd get saved. And this joy. And, you know, my wife and I, we were a part of this church when we were, I mean, this is many, many years after Jack Miller is there. But, and this church isn't quite like this now, but there's still so many elements of this. There's still, like, in pockets, you see people at New Life Presbyterian Church of Glenside, even to this day, um, there is such tremendous love for their church and for their neighbors that there are people in this church to this day, they do weird creative things. They, they lovingly come up and they these build these strange and, and wonderful floats because they want to say, we love you. And then they, bring, they make this float and then they, they, they use this float in the middle of the 4th of July parade to say, Glenside, we love you. Jesus loves you. And um, there's, there's stories that regularly come out when we were, we just hear these stories when we were at New Life Glenside. There was a, there was a day back in the days of Jack Miller when the, they'd outgrown their building and they had to worship, you know, remember this, for the first like 15 years or something like this, they didn't even own their own building because it started in a living room. <laughs> and there was a period when they were worshiping at the gym in the local YMCA and they had this incredible day of worship and the Holy Spirit came, it's in a gym. The Holy Spirit came to the room and a number of people got saved and the people who watched their friends get saved were so happy they started dancing. These are Presbyterians, by the way. (laughs) Presbyterians don't dance, okay? (laughs) I know, I, I grew up. And they started dancing in this gym and the worship service, they, you know, after the praise was ended, they kept singing and they kept playing music and, and they started this conga line in the middle of a gym. Church turned into a conga line. And the reason I, I know this story, there's a woman who was at the church at this time. She, she, she's like one of these people that don't dance in the church and she thinks that's weird. She was like, okay, the conga line, that, that, that was just too much. <laughs> she said, that was just too much. And, and when she told me that story, I almost started crying. I said, Acts chapter 2 is real. It's glory of God in a community that will compel people, you and me, to break out of our humility, out of our lack of humility, and it will drive people to Jesus. And you long for that? I do. And I do not because I'm a pastor, I'm a professional Christian, and it's my job to tell you to long for it. I long for it because I'm a sinner. And I, I'm deeply starving for glory. Which is why I put on my stuff crew shirts. Okay? So I can get a little bit of worldly glory. But at the end of the day, guys like John Hart and Young, this is what we talk about when we get together for breakfast. We long for this glory this community.
And I hope you will too. We'll dream of this community, this kind of community. And you'll begin to say, you know what, I, I'm going to take on some of these practices that we learned in these last 10 weeks, especially these first five weeks, and let's see what God will do. Let's see if bread from heaven will come and we'll share it and glory, we'll eat the glory, <laughs> the glory of God through Jesus. Let's pray. Father, we are glory-starved people. In fact, all our, all our normal habits and gravity is to just go back to me. That's, that's our country, our whole country, and especially our city. And this is our culture, and like, we can't help but be a part of the community and the, the bad culture of me, me. It just it poisons us, and we're so not mindful to the weak people around us, or we're not... We, won't, we don't want to take up this habit because it's hard, Lord, to push back against our pride and our selfishness. And it's not easy to have hope, especially when even right within our own company, people are, well, they're, they, have, they, they call us bigots, but it's, they're the ones who are prejudiced against Christianity, Lord. And it's just hard to be in this way. But I pray that we would long for your bread to break the kind of bread that the Acts 2 church did. And we pray that you would take this ragtag group and something like the Acts chapter 2 community can start to emerge. And we pray now, even, even now, Lord, there are some of the, the best members of New Hope Church, they're not even here yet. And that we pray that 2017 would be, there are people in our city and in, in our neighbors and our relatives and our friends who they think Jesus is the last person they want to meet, but when they meet you next year, they might become some of the most amazing members of our church. And it'll change us, and we'll taste of your glory again through them. And so we pray, Lord, as we go to your table now, help us move toward repentance and humility and faith again. Push back against our cynicism Push back against the cynical, oh, it can't happen in our church. Oh, that's only happened a long time ago. But instead, move us toward faith and repentance and toward your glory. In Jesus' name, amen.